Hello, and welcome to Skilled America, a podcast devoted to the policies, politics, and people driving the discussion on skills in today's economy. I'm your host, Rachel Unruh, Chief of External Affairs at National Skills Coalition. This is Episode 8, Directing the Flow of Talent. Many of the nation's water infrastructure assets are in urgent need of repair, maintenance, and restoration. According to the Brookings Institute, water occupations pay more on average compared to all occupations nationally, but water workers tend to be older and lacking in gender and racial diversity. Federal investments in workforce development tied to nationwide infrastructure projects may prove to be key to the country's recovery from COVID-related job loss and recession. But equity and access, with a focus on communities most impacted by the pandemic, will be paramount to ensuring an inclusive, people-centered recovery. We talked to two people who have, long before the pandemic hit, been rethinking the water utility workforce in the San Francisco Bay Area, as well as a newcomer to the industry, about their efforts to reshape the workforce pipeline into a staple of the communities they serve. My name is Juliet Ellis, and I'm the Assistant General Manager for External Affairs and the Chief Strategy Officer at the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission. So we are the Water, Power, and Sewer Department for the City and County of San Francisco. So we provide drinking water to about 2.6 million customers throughout the Bay Area. We treat both sanitary um, and stormwater before it gets released into the Bay and the ocean. And we're one of the few utilities, there's only two of us in California that have a combined system that treats both sanitary and stormwater in their same system. And then we're also the municipal power provider. So we're able to generate greenhouse gas-free power along our drinking water system, and that Greenhouse gas-free power is used to power all of the city departments. So the airport, schools, um, our transportation system, city hall, streetlights are all powered by SFPUC. Like many utilities across the country, SFPUC is working to address the environmental justice issues that come with having an operation of this magnitude in a large metropolitan area. We have three treatment plants in San Francisco, our largest treatment plant, where 80% of the waste for the entire city gets processed is in Bayview-Hunters Point, which is a, um, an environmental justice community, a traditionally African-American low-income community. That community for decades has kind of been on the front lines of the consequences of having a large treatment plant um, in, located in their neighborhood. So there's everything that you can imagine from odor issues to air quality issues to aesthetic issues to home value issues. Bayview-Hunters Point is one of the neighborhoods that... Um, has been, had less investment over time. And it's because of some of the industries that have been there. We at the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission were the first utility in the country to pass an environmental justice policy that really described our commitment to ensure that our operations policies and programs do not disproportionately impact low-income communities and communities of color. And so we've been spending a lot of time over the last, gosh, almost 11 years, really um, with an eye towards implementation of that policy. Um, we currently are investing $2 billion to upgrade that treatment plant and using kind of the newest technology that's available with really clear commitments that we're not going to have odors past the fence line, that it will no longer be an eyesore, that it's really going to be focused on um, resource recovery, which is kind of where the industry is moving versus wastewater treatment, wanting to change the paradigm so that the community sees 
us as an anchor in, in that neighborhood and as an asset to the community versus something that's taking away or having a negative consequence. And this might be related to um, starting to transition those facilities as being seen as an asset in the community. But what are some of the workforce development issues associated with water infrastructure in general and in the Bay Area? The water industry is an older workforce. And so if you look again across the country, the demographics of the water industry with all of our utilities tends to be not very diverse. So very white, very old and very male. Initially, it was, a, oh, my gosh, how do we respond and make sure that we can continue to provide high quality you know, water service and treat water to the highest level, et cetera, and kind of maintain our operations when you have this huge kind of silver tsunami is what they've been calling it of all of these workers that are eligible for retirement. So, for example, in San Francisco, within the next five years, 50% of our workforce is eligible to retire. And so you can imagine the conversation that's been being had both in San Francisco, within our region, because it's the same across all of these utilities, Louisville, um, Atlanta, Los Angeles, Seattle, New York, all of us have the same high retirement numbers because of this aging workforce. Back in the early 70s, when the Clean Water Act um, was implemented, it really changed the way the water industry thinks about their work and about skill sets. That's Elizabeth Toops, the director of work-based training programs at JVS San Francisco. JVS uh, stands for Jewish Vocational Service, and we have been uh, doing this work now for, I guess, 45 years, really focusing on uh, supporting workers as they move through uh, different phases of their employment. The Clean Water Act put into place a lot of additional regulations that required uh, more training uh, for staff. And the industry, in essence, hired on a bunch of, of uh, tradespeople to do this work to maintain and operate these valuable water and wastewater treatment facilities. Um, and the jobs were so good that people stuck around um, for 30, 40 years. There wasn't the planning, the workforce planning to address the loss of, of talent, the loss of skills when those folks retired. A number of agencies, sort of more forward-thinking agencies at the same time, were thinking, look, this is also an opportunity for us to be more responsive to our communities. Our workforce should be more reflective of the communities that we serve. We have quickly pivoted as an industry to really talk about how do we see this as an opportunity to address um, multiple issues around workforce. Here's Juliet Ellis of SFPUC again. How do we look at the communities where we have historically placed our treatment plants and our um, facilities, which tend to, as we discussed, be in environmental justice, low-income communities that have higher rates of unemployment, underemployment, et cetera, and create pathways from those communities where we have our operations, where we can't outsource the work. Like we need human beings at the treatment plants and in, the, in our facilities to run the plants into these types of jobs that are amazing living wage jobs that are careers where you can take care of your family and that they have all of the perks that city work has, where you have a pension, which most sectors don't have anymore. You have, um, you know, job security. A third of our jobs only require a high school degree and up to two years of experience. So there are watershed keepers, lab technicians, where they're very accessible types of careers that could make a huge difference for folks that are um, trying to find meaningful work with a meaningful wage. 
So how have you started to address those pipeline challenges? What have the actual strategies looked like for creating those pathways from environmental justice communities into these jobs? What we decided many years ago is that we were going to be more intentional and really think through like what are the ladders that you need to be taking a young person through a process that would end them at the foot of being able to get into the water sector for employment opportunities. One strategy we have is this kindergarten to career effort where we are partnering very, very closely with the school district in San Francisco and that we have kind of slotted out the different components of that ladder. So we have an eco-literacy focus for kindergarten through fifth grade. And then we have a focus on middle school, really on STEM and STEM education, where we know that if young people aren't exposed and doing well in um, the STEM uh, curriculum, that they have a harder time as they move into high school and kind of drop off around being in, on that track and on that pathway. And then for high school, it's really been a focus on career exposure. But career exposure can be a transformational tool well beyond grade school. As one intern with the East Bay Municipal Utility District, or East Bay MUD, told us. So my name is Diane Starr. And um, I am uh, currently a student at Laney College. I started out uh, years ago. I was in the Navy. So I went to the machinist school. I did really well. I uh, discovered that I not only did I like machining, but I was actually good at it. So I did that for five years in the Navy. And um, when I got out of the Navy, I looked at a couple of different machine shops in the Bay Area. I didn't really know how to look for a job in the trades. And so I went to the shops and I probably, I, I had dress pants on and I did get very well received. Of course, there weren't any women in the machine shops either. So fast forward, uh, I had, um, my husband uh, passed away four years ago very suddenly, and I was kind of left in a place where I was working at an office job that was not going to allow me to sustain myself in the Bay Area. I'd always thought about machining. I just didn't know how to get in. But then I saw a job posting for a machinist at East Bay Mud. And I thought, well, and I looked at the job description. There were things, there were a lot of things that I, I knew I could do. And then there were some things I didn't know. I didn't have that skill set. I went to a job fair um, at La Loma College, and uh, it was for veterans. Lo and behold, uh, East Bay Mud has a booth there. And so I talked to the folks there, and I said, you know, I'm really interested to be in as a machinist, um, but I don't know, I don't have all these skill set, and they were very encouraging. I said, just apply. I was still nervous, <laughs> wasn't sure. The director at Laney College invited me to um, audit his class in the machine shop. He said, I could come in on Saturday and I can work on a project that the students are working on. And I have to say that was such a, a, a wonderful offer because it really, you know, got me excited about being back in the machine shop in the fall. 
of last year, I took my first class at Laney College uh, in their machine technology program. So then the next semester I was uh, is when I um, applied for the internship at East Bay Mud. Today I was able to assist with preparing a fire main pipeline strainer. And we yesterday we took off a flange that's uh, 14 inches in diameter, had 10 uh, large bolts that we had to unscrew to um, prepare it. And today I cut out a, um, a gasket using a gasket cutter. And then we needed to take out a plug and reinsert a ball valve. So um, I get really geeked out on all this stuff. Yeah, it's kind of exciting. I love this kind of stuff. Did you sort of imagine yourself in this field? And if not, how did you end up deciding that the water industry might be an interesting place for you? So one of the things that I love about the water industry is what I see in the way of their, you know, their accountability. It's such a, an amazing community service uh, to have good, clean water. I would say to anybody who's interested that it's an amazing uh, industry. If you're interested in, there's carpentry, there's electricians, there's um, operators. There's the machinists, the mechanics, there's uh, the plumbers. My goodness, they do a lot of work. And then there's, there's just a lot of different opportunities. There are schools like Laney College that Diane um, referenced. And the Bay Area is fortunate to have some really high quality trades training at local community colleges. Here's Elizabeth Toops of JVS again. But, you know, your local Machine machining program may be a 45, 60 mile commute away, and that's just not feasible for, for so many people, especially if they're having to work during the day. And sometimes those classes aren't, aren't held at times that are convenient for people who are working as well. Post-COVID, when people have lost income, being in school and being able to pay your rent, pay your utility bills, pay for your groceries is a challenge. The water space has such an important role to play with regards to getting people back to work. What we've done is partner with labor and with private contractors to really um, understand and remove the barriers that are preventing people from being able to participate in construction opportunities. So that's everything from researchers going to um, get people current on their driver's license so that they can um, be eligible to work on these jobs. Working with private sector firms who have put resources to provide subsidized childcare really focused on the need and desire to diversify the construction workforce to include more women. On the civil service side, workforce training that's really targeted at the entry level um, jobs that we have that have low barriers for entry where people just need um, a high school degree and some experience. Why is now a good time for policymakers to invest in water infrastructure? And why does that need to be coupled with investments in workforce development for this industry? If you look at what happened in the 2008 recession, water played such a huge role with the economic recovery. So as you think about us coming out of COVID, for example, water will be, it's, it's a guarantee, will be doing infrastructure capital improvements because our age, our infrastructure is in many places 50 years, 75 years. Our pipes are 100 years old and way beyond their useful life. So there is not an option to not be investing in our infrastructure. And so we will be hiring to be able to 
um, operate the infrastructure that we're building. We will be hiring to do the construction that we're talking about in these infrastructure plans. And we can't outsource our work. And so, and that our work just on its face has low barriers for entry. Like it's not a, it's not a place where you need a college degree necessarily or multiple degrees. It's like certificates on the job training. You're guaranteed that we will not be outsourcing these jobs and that the jobs will be coming from the communities where we have our operations that tend to be the places where there's the highest unemployment and underemployment. Um, you know, we've been through five recessions in our um, in our agency's lifetime. So we've been in and out of boom and bust cycles, especially in the Bay Area, especially during troubling times like this, uh, when the focus um, is really as much on improving skills and, and preparing for what we hope to be uh, a thriving economy. Investment in infrastructure, and from our perspective, critically, the uh, the workforce pipeline needed to rebuild um, our infrastructure um, is a great opportunity to um, to improve equity of opportunity for people who have not always had um, strong connection to the workforce. These jobs are of high quality, you know, really able to support a family and good middle-class jobs. This is an industry that's definitely contributing in a positive way to climate resilience. So it's a great opportunity for Congress and our country to invest in these jobs and these people to become high-quality tradespeople. It's good for the uh, community. It's good for the economy. It's our water. It's our future. So it's definitely worth investing for these types of jobs. Thank you all so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. And um, I really look forward to what's coming next. Uh, thank you to the to National Skills Coalition for all that you do. And thank you for the opportunity uh, to participate in this podcast. Thank you so much, Rachel, for um, inviting me to participate today and look forward to um, continuing the conversation. Diane Starr is a Navy veteran and an intern with East Bay Mud, which provides clean drinking water and wastewater treatment for residents in the San Francisco Bay Area. Elizabeth Toops is the Director of Work-Based Training Programs at JVS San Francisco, which has worked to help Bay Area workers build in-demand skills and find good jobs for over 40 years. Juliet Ellis is the Assistant General Manager for External Affairs and the Chief Strategy Officer at the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission which provides drinking water, wastewater, and electric services to the city of San Francisco and surrounding counties. That's our show. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Rachel Unruh. Stay safe, and we'll see you next time for another in-depth look at Skilled America. Skilled America.